Welcome to the Greater Philly Church Podcast, where you'll learn to connect to Jesus and others through great teaching, inspirational stories, and relevant content. I'm Matt Manny, the pastor of Greater Philly Church, and my goal is to help you understand yourself, your relationships, and life in light of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Thanks so much for listening. As we're coming through this message series, We've been looking at the gospel and why did Jesus Christ die for us? We can understand what the gospel is, that is that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again for us. But sometimes we wonder why. Why did Jesus Christ have to die for us? Why uh, is the gospel what it is? And so as we look here this morning, you see this, the title of the message is, How Do You Know God's Plan for Your Life? The gospel isn't just a standalone issue, that is that Jesus Christ saved us so that we can have a connection to God but it's about a a grander scheme for our lives that God has a plan for us. If you can think back to your your teenage years, think back to high school, it's uh, really the best of times and the worst of times to some degree. You're you're starting to come into your own, you're kind of figuring out your identity, you're learning about what romance is and what romance is not. And I can remember it was the summer of uh, my ninth grade year, I was 15, just about to turn 16, and the school, the private Christian school that I was going to at the time, they had this uh, summer ministry team where we were going to do vacation Bible school uh, for churches that were in Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia is an island that's just off the coast of Canada. And so the plan was to go up there to Canada and to go to these different churches and to minister there. But before we went to those churches, we went to a, a camp, a Bible camp. And as we were there at this camp, we did some training and we did some uh, work, worked on our, our puppet routines and skits that we were doing. And we learned some songs that we were going to sing at the churches. And so I can remember at this camp, there are multiple other uh, ministry teams, groups of teenagers, and so we all had name tags, and we kind of sat with our team, and the speaker for that week, uh, he, he called me up one night to be an illustration. So sometimes I do that, I call on people, make people real nervous, you know, come on up, I need an unsuspecting a candidate, but I, I won't do that today. But he called my name, and the problem was my name tag, my last name was spelled wrong, Manny is spelled M-A-N-N-E-Y. Well, the name that I had on my name tag was H-A-N-E-Y. And so as a teenager, you're kind of like, like self-conscious about things, and nobody changed my name tag, and so I just kind of left it as is. It was kind of the running joke. Hey, there, Matt Haney. Like, hey, nay, 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 nay. So sitting on the front row, being the overachiever that I was as a 15-year-old, I can remember sitting there, and so the speaker says, uh, come on up here, Mr. Haney. Well, as you know, like, teenagers can be cruel. So all my friends that knew me, they were like, ah, and they started laughing. Well, the speaker, he like started laughing too. So you feel really, really uncomfortable. And think, well, what, what's so funny? Did I say your name wrong? Well, it's actually spelled wrong. So we had a good time and had fun, but I, I won't forget that, that message because he talked about God's plan for your life, just like what I'm going to talk about this morning. And as a 15-year-old, I'm kind of thinking like, I, I, I don't want to you know, mess up. I want to get, I think I want to get married. I want, you know, I, at the time I liked this girl named Jenny. So everything was like Jenny, 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 you know, I want things to work out with Jenny. Well, things didn't work out with Jenny because I'm married to Amanda, which is a really good thing. But at the time you have all these emotions and all these things. And so I remember sitting there. And so he says, would you, if God called you and if God asked you to serve him, would you do it? And so I'm like, like looking around and I'm like, Checking Jenny out, like, does she feel God calling her? Because if God's going to call her, he's going to call me too, you know? So he talked and preached and all this stuff, and then I could sense that God was really getting a hold of my heart. Because from even as a young kid, I really had this, this sensitivity toward God. 
I saw my pastor. I respected him. I loved him. I saw that the way people treated him was the way I wanted to be treated. And I'll just say this as a side note. If you think about your life, and not, not in every case, but many times the vocations we choose in life, it's often because those vocations bring to us something that we want. And as you grow up as a child and you figure out your identity and what you want to do in life, you see people who are doing certain things and they're getting respect or love or fame or attention or significance. That's why a lot of kids, you know, they want to be superstars and they want to be uh, great athletes. Why? Because you feel significant and you feel famous and you get attention. And so what I saw for people in ministry, that's kind of, I wanted respect and attention and love. And so that was kind of a driving, motivating factor. Now it can get out of control and we'll talk about that a little bit in just a moment. But that was kind of my motivation. I thought, God, I want to do something great for you. And so I remember at the end of the message, the pastor said, if you want to, if you want to dedicate and be willing to do whatever God wants you to do, would you go ahead and, and raise your hand? So I raised my hand. Then it was, would you go ahead and stand up? So I stood up, you know, on the front row and all nervous. And then would you go ahead and go out this door? And I was like, say, what? Like, where are we going? And he said, all I want you to do is go out. And they had a, a deck area out off to, the, off to the side of this auditorium. And he said, I just want you to go out and pray. You don't have to talk to anybody. You just talk to God and just say, God, whatever you want to do, I want to be open to whatever it would be that you would have for me to do. So I did that. Up there in Nova Scotia, mosquitoes and all. But it was from that moment that kind of like lit a spark in me that's, that's led overarching 20 years later to this, to this point that God has brought me to this day and realizing the unfolding, that decision for me as a 15-year-old that has impacted my career, who I married, how I raised my kids, the fact that I'm here in the greater Philadelphia area as a pastor, that our church is, is in existence, would not have happened were it not for what happened on a summer night in the heart and mind of a 15-year-old kid who was in love with Jenny. And I see all that stuff now leading me to this point. As you look there in your notes, you find this, what's your life plan? Now we understand that God has a calling and a plan for our lives, but does your life plan really line up with God's life plan? Where are you going? Where are you going to, uh, what are you going to do? Where are you going to have impact? Who are you going to impact? And what's the legacy you want to leave before you die? As you think about this, and you see here in your notes, the, the great misnomer that we don't really understand and see is that there's actually not just our life plan that we would have for ourselves, but there's God's plan that he has for us, but there's also another plan that really we don't talk too much about because it's kind of like, it's kind of like the metaphysical hocus pocus, you know, people say like, ah, this isn't true. But there is a dark force, you know, the dark side of Star Wars. The dark side, there is a, such a thing as a dark side, it's Satan. Satan is alive and well, we can't see him, but we know from the Bible that Satan has a plan as well for your life. He has things that he wants to see take place in your life just as much as God wants to see things happen in your life. He sees things and sees uh, goals and aspirations for you that are totally different than what God would want to have happen in your life. Now, as you find there in your notes, you see this, that there are two types of plans for your life. The plan God has for you and the plan that Satan has for you. And we're going to see that salvation works as a part of this plan. When we identify each plan, we'll be able to clearly see which one we're living out, how to avoid Satan's plan, and how to fulfill God's purpose and plan for us. But we're going to start, first of all, this morning, we're going to talk about, well, if God's got a plan, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in just a minute, but what's Satan's plan? And like, is this legitimate? Is this crazy? But we find this in John chapter 10, verse 10, it talks about the fact that the thief comes not but to kill, steal, and destroy. 
And we find this, Satan has a threefold plan for our lives. We'll look at some scriptures to back this up for just a moment. But the first of all, the first part of his plan is this, to control you through your desires and temptations. It's Satan's plan for your life, as we see here. He wants to try to control you through desires and temptations. Those would be things that, that we find from back in the uh, book of Genesis where uh, Satan came and he tempted Eve. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But you see there in your notes a couple of verses of Scripture. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 says, For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, are not of the Father of God, but are of this world. That there are basically three ways that we get off of God's plan. And that is by the things we see, that we see with our eyes that appeal to us, the things that appeal to our flesh, and the things that appeal to the pride of life. So for me as a kid, and it's hard because there's nothing wrong with wanting to, to be a doctor or a mom or dad or to help people. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be a pastor. But when we're trying to pursue a career and pursue an identity because it's all about me and it's all about my plan, we're really falling prey and, and landing in the trap of Satan Say, yeah, it is all about you. And don't think about God because we're going to find in just a moment, as a part of this plan Satan has for us, he wants to drive us as far away from God and the things of God as possible. Another verse, as I just mentioned, is John chapter 10, verse 10, the first part there, uh, part A, the thief comes but to steal to kill and destroy. And so if Satan would, could do anything in your life, it would be to steal your joy, to kill what is good within you, that God is working in you, and to destroy your life. That story, the, the fellow who preached back 20 years ago, sad to say, but about nine years ago, in a moment of, of frustration, and I don't know what was all going on in his life, but he made the unfortunate decision to take his life. And I think about the path that God has me on and the path that, that that pastor took and how it's impacted his family and his kids and his grandkids and people that very much love him. It's not to say that his life didn't have a major impact, but it was cut short, and that was not a part of God's plan. And we have to be so, so careful because as we live out our lives, we can fall prey because of the desires and temptations to get off of God's plan. Number two, the second part of Satan's plan is this, to control us through lies to control us through things that he says and really questions. John chapter 8, verse 44 says that you are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. There's a song right now on the radio that says, Fear is a liar uh, on Christian radio. And the truth is that fear all throughout the Scriptures, God over and over again says, Do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. And yet Satan was, uh, would love nothing more than for us to fear life and to fear God and to fear the future. We find as well, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, uh, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. Back in the mid, mid to late 90s, there's a, a pretty awesome movie with uh, Val Kilmer and Michael Douglas called The Ghost in the Darkness. How many of you have know the movie, have seen the movie? It's, it's pretty awesome. It's actually based off of some true events about the British military as they were going through Africa. They were trying to build a transcontinental railroad. And as they were trying to build this transcontinental railroad, they were going from one uh, side of the continent to the other. And the goal was to build basically this, this uh, train tracks. And so as they were going through this process, there's these two lions that many of the, the British soldiers, more of the superstitious ones, thought that they were uh, demon-possessed. And so these lions would come in the middle of the night and they would basically grab guys out of, their, out of their tents and drag them off these tents that were kind of on the outside the fringe of the camp. And so they would 
just drag guys and all people would hear them screaming. Now, if you watch the movie, it's really dramatized and Val Kilmer goes off and they, they track the line and find their lair and, you know, they find all these bones and stuff. But what's amazing is this, when a lion attacks its prey, it doesn't just maul it to death. It actually takes the bones and, and crush the bones in its jaw and suck the marrow out. So there's no life left. There's nothing left. And Satan's plan, he lies to us that, hey, you really can't, and we'll talk about it in a minute, you can't trust God. And the way life is right now, it's not good, so why are you putting the time in? Why are you listening to the pastor talk? Why are you trying to do what's right? He lies to us. Number three, the third plan, part of his plan is this, to control us through circumstances, to control us through situations. Now, I don't, I don't know so much that you can say, well, man, traffic, it's from Satan, and the flat tire, it's from Satan, and all these things are from Satan. But what we can find is this, that there are points throughout the Bible where Satan does orchestrate events to try to test people and, and, to, and to do things to manipulate people. We find, and we'll look up these verses for just a moment, back in Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, we find this, that Satan comes in the form of a serpent, of a snake. And he comes to Eve, and the Bible says, he speaks there, he says, the serpent said to the woman in verse 4, that you, you won't die. And in verse 5, he says, for God knows that when you eat of the, the fruit of the tree that God told you not to eat, that your eyes will be open and you'll be as God's knowing good and evil. What's amazing about this, and we've talked about this before in this series, that it was true that God had a plan for them not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And part of that plan was because he didn't want them to be able to have this loss of innocence. And Satan says to them there, you're not going to die because when you eat, you're going to actually be able to see. Now there's a half-truth there, that they would know the difference between good and evil. That's the whole point of the tree. But what he doesn't get into is what kind of death is going to take place, the separation from God, the physical death then that will take place. As we look in our notes, we also find this. And Satan, he uses these strategies to really control what we believe about God. And as we see, it's not only this plan that he has for us, but then there are these strategies that he as well uses for three different aspects that he's trying to get us not to believe about God. As you look there on the next page of your notes, there's these strategies he's trying to get us to not believe about God. So he controls us through our circumstances. He controls us through temptations, through lies. But then there's these three, if you will, maybe lies that we can say. We can call them that. Three strategies he, he uses to get us not to trust God's plan. First of all is this, that God doesn't care about you. If Satan can get you to believe that God is not in control and God doesn't care about you, he's going to start working on your mind because our mind, what we believe, impacts our behavior. What we think about, it goes into our actions and our philosophy of life. And if he can get you to believe that God doesn't care about you because of, as you see in your notes there, about evil and suffering, then he can get us and convince us to believe that God is not to be trusted. God is not faithful. If you look there, Job chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, as I mentioned before, that Satan does have some ability to control circumstances to some degree. Job, if you know the story, Job goes before God and Job says, uh, God says, Job, what have you been doing? And he says, I've been going throughout the earth just kind of creating mayhem and causing problems and stuff. And he says, God, you know, does anybody really still love you and listen to you? And God says, well, what about my servant Job? Have you tried him? And he says, oh, come on, God. He only, he only loves you because look at his situation. He's got 10 kids. 
His wife loves him. He's a wealthy businessman. Look at his, ho- his homes. Look at his, uh, his, uh, his, his uh, economic status. He's got all these uh, herds and sheep and cattle. And so he says, but I bet you if, if it all went away, he'd stop because it's just this transactional relationship that Job has with you. You take care of him, and he kind of listens to you. God, because you're manipulative like that. The people only follow you when things are going good. And so God says, okay, Job, here's the deal. You take the stuff away, and we'll see how he, how he responds. And so Job says, well, let me up the ante a little bit. What about if I attack him personally? What if I take his health? And God says, okay, I will let you to, allow you to take his health, but you cannot kill him. Can you imagine that? Like, okay, go ahead and kill him too, and we'll see how things turn out. Like, aren't you thankful that God says, don't kill him? And so we find that Satan gets involved, and these events take place. And as you look there in your notes, you find this. Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, that a man will give for his life. That if a person gets into a set of circumstances so bad, he will do anything to survive, even if it means to curse the name of God. And then he goes on to say, but for thine own hand now, Touch his bone in his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. He says, allow negative circumstances to happen to him, and God will turn on you because that's what humans do. And you think about your circumstances you're going through right now. Could it be that, it's, that there are forces beyond our knowledge necessarily in our control, and it's a testing time, and Satan is going before God and saying, listen, look, look, the plan that you have for them is not working out because I'm getting involved. <laughs> But they're going to turn on you, God. Just watch. Just wait and see. The second part of this is that God can't be trusted. The second thing that Satan wants you and I to believe is that God can't be trusted. That is that basically that authority can't be trusted. You think about your job at work or your boss, a situation, or maybe somebody that was in your life, a teacher or a coach or somebody, and they hurt you or did something to you or said something to you, and it broke that sense of trust. Maybe with a parent where there's that, that trust and it was broken, And now the problem is any type of instruction or criticism or authority in our lives, we begin to challenge or or distrust. Why? Because if I can't trust people that, that are supposed to help me and to love me, then how can I even trust God who put them in my life? We go back to Genesis again. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It says that the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, has God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden. He is testing and he is challenging what God has said. And any time in our lives that we're going to be tempted not to trust God, it's going to come back to this. We're going to be challenged to believe as what God promised us in the scriptures, that God will supply our needs, that God will take care of us, that God has a plan for us. Is that true? And the battleground is not in our circumstances. The battleground is in our minds. Number three is this. This is, and this is the most difficult one to deal with, but the belief that God doesn't love you. That if God doesn't love me, then what hope do I have? Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, talking about some end times things. But it talks about there and gives us this idea that, that I believe takes place right now. And in Revelation chapter 12, it says that the accuser of the brethren is cast down, which accused them before God day and night. You ever think about the fact that while you're trying to do your job and keep your nose clean and keep your head above water and pay your bills and do life and take care of your kids and love your family, that Satan is constantly accusing you before God? That Satan is pointing the finger and pointing and pointing and pointing? 
And what we find is, what's amazing is, one day Satan's going to get his own. He's going to get what he deserves, and God's going to take care of things. But in this moment, he is in a battle against God for your heart and mind, for the plan that God has for your life. Now you see there in your notes that God has not forsaken you. God is not abusing you. God has a plan for you. And the only way to engage God is to engage the plan, to go along with God's plan. As you see, this big thought for us today, the big idea is to engage the plan, you have to engage the planner. What's the plan? It's God's good, perfect plan for your life. How do we engage the planner? Who's the planner? It's God. The problem we face is this. What do you do when the plan isn't working out or when you can't see the plan clearly? In John 10, verse 10, we've talked about this before. This is our, our, really our key verse for today. It's Satan, like a thief, he wants to kill, steal, and destroy anything good that's happening in your life. But God, through Jesus, on the other hand, he's come that you and I might have life and that we might have uh, life more abundantly. That word life, and I love this, the word life in the Greek literally is the word zoe. So if you've ever heard the name zoe, I like that name, zoe. Zoe means life. It means to be life-giving. And that word more abundantly means like super hyper, off-the-charts life. But what do you do when your circumstances in your life and God's plan doesn't really line up with that verse? Is the verse lying? Or is there something more to my experience and God's plan for my life? As you see here in your notes, the so what? So what does all this mean? As you engage the plan, as you engage God, you'll begin to experience God's plan for your life. As you trust God and take it step by step with God, that God will begin to reveal through, through time. On the way here this morning, we were driving along and we had to stop to get some batteries uh, for uh, all the sound stuff that we use. So we're sitting in, in the van and Malachi, he's, he's got all these crazy questions. So as we're driving along, he's, he's saying to us, uh, to me and Amanda, hey, can I get a truck when I get older? Yeah, sure, you can get a truck, but you got to pay for it, you know? Can I get a red truck? No, can I get a black truck? No, 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 can I get a blue truck? I'm like, hey, you can get whatever truck you want to as long as you buy it and pay for it, right? I'm not like paying for this thing, you know, for you to have whatever, your fun and go mess up a car. So then he says, well, how do I figure out how to drive the truck? Would you drive in the truck with me? And I said, oh, no, no, you're not gonna start with the truck. You're gonna start with the family van or whatever vehicle we happen to have at the time. And so then he's, then I can tell he's just like, he's just kind of running through all these things. So we're sitting in the parking lot and then he's like, but dad, how do you figure out like the traffic stuff? I said, what do you mean? Well, like the signs, like what stop sign do you have to stop at? And so we're sitting there in the parking lot and over to our, over to our far left, we see uh, like four stop signs. Now there's stop signs that are facing various different ways. And then off in the far, far distance, probably 50 yards away, we see an intersection and there's all these traffic lights. And so he's going, which one do you obey? How do you know when to stop? I said, well, bud, where are we going? Well, we're going to church. Okay, so the goal is from where we are right now, sitting in the parking lot of the giant grocery store, we've got to get from here to over to media, from Springfield to media, and so which traffic signs or signals do we obey first? Do we have to worry about the traffic light that we see 50 yards away? We said, well, I don't think so. Like, where are you going with this, Dad? You have these like weird lecture, life lesson teaching things, you know? Like, that's what dads do. We're good at corny jokes and life lessons. So I said, well, how do we get out of the parking lot? We said, well, you pull out of the parking spot and drive toward the, toward the grocery store. I said, well, what's the first traffic signal we see? Well, there's a stop sign. And then what do we do? Well, then we turn left and we pick up mom and try not to hit her, right? Yeah, basically, because we love mom. Well, then what's the next traffic signal we see? Well, there's another stop sign. Okay, do we have to worry about the traffic light yet? No. So we drive, and I said, here's the deal. You worry about the traffic signal that's in front of you next. 
And I really believe with God's plan, that's really how things are. I worry so much about the destination and point B, but the process from getting from point A to point B, there's all these traffic signals, stop signs and stop lights and yellow lights. Like, what do you do at a yellow light? You gun it, right? You know, <laughs> you don't use caution. What do you do at a red light? You stop and you wait. I believe the problem is, many times as we're going through life through these different traffic signals, we see the speed limit signs, we see the caution yellow, we see the yield sign. Sometimes we get stuck at traffic lights, a red light, and we say, I can't wait. I can't wait. So we get out of the car and we give up. Why? Because we grow impatient or we doubt God's plan. And our littlest one, Macy, she's yelling the whole time, like, when are we going to get there? I want some donuts. Like, she wants to get to church. But as we go through life, it's these different points where we have to deal with these traffic signals and we have to be able to read them and understand them. So what's the big picture for us to engage God's plan for our lives? Number one, first of all, is this. What is God's threefold plan for your life? And we're, not talking, we're just talking about big macro overview, some big stuff here. Getting back to the fundamentals so we don't forget and we don't give up on God. First of all, number one is this. Remember, God planned for your life. God planned for your life. You think about, now your parents, they, they may have said, well, we didn't like plan on you, but there are no accidental births. Now, there might be accidental parents, but there are no accident births. God planned for your birth. And Satan wants to do everything he can to make you doubt your life and doubt God's goodness in creating your life. As you look there in your notes, we'll put it up on the screen here, Psalm 139 talks about the beauty and the, and the wonder of life. The psalmist David writes, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows right well. He says it's an understanding for us that God, when he formed us in our mother's womb, that he made us just right and perfect. And he say, but I have physical difficulties or physical complications. That even through those things, God can still work and God can still bring about a good plan. It goes on then to say in verse 15 that my substance was not hid from you when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. The understanding here is that God is precise and he gets down deep and God knows exactly that there's no accidents when it came to forming your life. In verse 16, he says, your eyes did see my substance being unperfect. That is to be uh, unmature, not developed yet, in the, in, still in the fetus state. He goes on and says, And in your, my, in your book all my members were written, which in the continuance were fashioned when there was none of them. And this is just totally a side note, but just think about this. You realize what he's saying. Your members, that is your, your, your head and your heart and your features and your body parts, that God actually takes record of those things. That God jots down, okay, this is, this is how this person's going to be formed. And you think about births that don't go well or properly or where people are born with deformities. You think, well, where was God? God must have been asleep on the job. No, he was taking copious notes, writing down even those things. I don't know if you heard this week, but there is a think tank in the UK that's the uh, premier world think tank for when it comes to uh, DNA and genetics. And what they're finding is, and what they've released today, uh, this past week, was this statement that you can now create a designer baby that you can go ahead and in specific circumstances, you can go ahead and correct whether it's deformities or difficulties, uh, even to the point of possibly picking eye color, hair color, those kind of things. And so there's this big discussion. Can you do that? So they asked a panel of people, and some of the people were saying, well, 
If I could help spare my child from a life of heartache and difficulty, I would do that. And other people said, yeah, but I, I wouldn't mess with how God made us, and so just kind of let, let things be. Now, that's for you to, to think about for today, but as we look at this, God does take down these notes about us. In verse 17, he says, how precious, and this is what I love most of all, how precious also are your thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. God thinks about you. God is thinking about you right now. I can remember dating and all that stuff as I talked about being 15, 16 year old. One of the greatest things when you get to that point in life is that people like you and that they find value in you. And to think about the fact that other people are thinking about you. And so you write notes to each other. I was thinking about you, you know. I saw a blimpy hoagie at the store and I thought about you, you know. I saw roses and I thought, or whatever it might be. But what's even more amazing is the fact that God thinks about you. What's really hard is when people forget us, when people don't thank us, when people don't acknowledge us. And what the encouragement here is this, whatever you're going through right now, that God planned your life and God is thinking about you right now. He has not forgotten you. Number two to remember is this, that God planned for your salvation. God planned for your salvation. Satan wants to steal your soul if he can. And if you're a Christian, if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, he wants to do everything he can to divert you and to get you off track because if, if he knows you're going to heaven, then he wants to stop you short just like that mentor, just like that guy that had been an encouragement in my life. Satan wanted to stop him and his influence. And so whatever happened, with, whether it was temptation or discouragement in his mind, to make that decision, he stopped his influence. And what we find is this, is John 3.16, that God gives us and God loved us so much and we know these verses, if you've been around church for any length of time, that God so loved the world, that is you and me, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever responds and engages God, whoever believes in God, would not perish but have everlasting life. That God planned for your life and God planned for your salvation. And then number three is this, and I love this part. Remember, God planned for your purpose. God planned for your purpose and life, for what you're going to accomplish. For me as a kid, I remember those early years having interest in all kinds of different things. And as a kid, we daydream about what we're going to become. But then to come along into my, into my teenage years and realize I, I kind of have a, a leaning toward this kind of thing. I think I want to be in ministry. I want to be a pastor one day, maybe. And to see that as those things shaped up and realize what I'm experiencing today is a part of God's plan for my life. No matter how bad things may get, I've got to keep running my race and keep running straight. Why? Because this is all a part of God's plan. And we find these verses of encouragement here with this. And Philippians 1.6 says this, being confident of this very thing, which, that he who's begun a good work, that work that was started as a 15-year-old, that God started back in those days, Jesus Christ, it says there, that he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That is, until God takes you home, whether you die or the rapture happens, that God is going to continue to work his plan and to form you so that you can fulfill your God-given purpose. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, again, just like Psalm 139, to give you a, 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 a thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. That is to give us hope. That is so that we have hope that God's not done with me yet. That if you're not dead, God's not done. And as long as you're alive and breathing, that God can work through, no matter how bad your situation may be right now, God's salvation is not just good for your eternity, but he's good for your tempor uh, what's temporary right now. God has a plan for you. We find this and we see God has a plan for your life. And that is that this plan, it will unfold as you follow his leading in your life, a plan for his glory and for your good. 
that God has a plan for his glory and for your good. I'm going to go ahead and put those, uh, the blank up there for us, JJ. As we close this morning, the plan right now, you may think, well, God, it's confusing, and I don't get it, and I don't understand it. You may find yourself saying, well, God, it doesn't feel very good right now. But I want to put up a couple of verses of Scripture for us as we get ready to close, and then I'll close with the story. We find that Romans chapter 8, verse 14, you can see there in your notes, and we can go ahead and put them up on the screen. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons and daughters. They're the children of God. And as God leads you, even through deep waters, and even through difficulties, salvation isn't just for our eternity, but it's for us to have a connection with God now. And then Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21, we find these words. Even when we're confused and we're unsure, Isaiah says this, and your ears will hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it, when you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left. A guy by the name of Bob Goff wrote a book called Everybody Always, and it's really a book about loving people. And he tells in one of the chapters about a friend of his, a guy by the name of Lex. And Lex uh, is an uh, a, a Olympic athlete. He runs track, and he also as well, his, his specialty is running the, uh, doing the long jump and competing in the long jump. What's interesting, though, is this, is Lex, when he was about eight years old, he went through 10 eye operations because his, he was having eye problems and eye, 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 sight issues. And so as he was going through these operations, at the age of eight, he ended up uh, going completely blind. So he really struggled because as you get up to your years of maturity and growth into high school, you kind of think, well, what, what can I do? And what good can a blind kid do when he's struggling to find his own identity and, and what he can do in life? Why would God let that happen to a blind to a kid that had his whole future in front of him that God didn't allow him to have his sight? But eventually for Lex, what he found was this, that God gave him, in taking his eyesight, God gave him a set of legs where he could run. But blind people usually don't run. They usually have the stick in front of them, you know? They're tapping along the street trying to figure, find their way. But he learned through a, a course of just different events that he was good at athletics and that he could run. So he went out for the track and field team. What he found was he could, with some help and some guidance, that he could run and he could do long jump. And so as he got into high school and then on into college, he began to compete and really rose to the top. And what he found was he had a friend that would go ahead and take him. And if you know the long jump, it's that, that big pit of sand where you go ahead and, and you know, stand back you know, a couple hundred feet and then you run and you stop and jump and try to land in the sand as far as you can. And so what Lex's friend would do is he would take him back about 100 feet from the sand pit, and he would square, square his shoulders up so he could run about that three-foot-wide path. And then his friend would go ahead and clap his hands, say, you ready? And Lex would respond and clap his hands, I'm ready. And he'd you know, bang himself, hit himself, try to get himself pumped up. And then what his friend would do is he would stand all the way down at the other end, right at the, right at the edge of the sand pit, and he would yell, fly, fly, fly. And so as he said that, Lex would bend down and get real low, and he would start pumping his legs, running as fast as he could. And when he got to about his eighth or ninth stride, he'd start to stand upright a little bit more. Once he got to about his uh, 11th or 12th stride, he would start to pump his legs even higher. And once he hit his 15th and 16th stride, then he knew he would just jump as far as he could and land in the sand pit. You think it's a a blind guy can do that, and he would do that incredibly, impeccably. And he says this, that when I lost my eyesight as an eight-year-old, he said, I felt totally disconnected from reality. I felt like nobody loved me. I felt just like I couldn't engage anybody. And he said, but when I would run and I would jump, it felt like I was released from a cage. I was free. And one year during a world championship, 
His friend had got him set up and he squared with the sand pit. His friend got down at the other end and he yelled, fly, fly. But this time when Lex, he got his footing off. And so he was trying to find his way back on the path. And so when he hit his 15th, 16th stride, he jumped as hard as he could. But because he got off the path, he ended up landing hard on the concrete. And the crowd just, oh, everybody could feel the pain and hurt. So Lex's friend ran over to him. He had, uh, Lex had ripped up his, his uniform. He was all bloody, hurt. They took him off the sideline. They weren't sure that he was going to be able to compete the rest of the day because he was hurt so badly. But amazingly enough, they brought Lex back out, and the crowd began to cheer. He was going to try again. He had a fresh uniform on. His friend took him down to the end, about 100 feet or so away from the sand pit, squared up his shoulders, clapped. Lex clapped back, said, I'm ready to go. His friend went back down to the corner of the sand pit and yelled, fly, fly, fly. And so he started real low, pumped his legs, got to the 11th, 12th stride, stood upright, started pumping his legs harder, hit the 15th, 16th stride, and launched. And that day he won gold because he didn't give up. And for you in your life right now, you may be feeling, God, this is not the plan. I'm running so hard and I'm jumping and I'm hitting concrete and it hurts, but I don't think I can keep going at it. Lex is 33 years old, and he still competes. In the Paralympics, he competes in world championships, and he's got a great, a great legacy to live out before him. But for you today, you might be in a place where you say, God, this is not for your glory, and this doesn't feel like it's very good. But God's plan for your life, it's a perfect plan. What you find is, and you're going through your circumstances, and you say, I just can't see it. Whatever the traffic signal is, whatever it is, it's in front of you right now. If you don't have a clear understanding from God, the next step, my encouragement to you would be this, to wait on God, not to move forward until you wait on God and see what he has for the next step for you. Let's pray. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. I hope it was encouraging and inspiring. If you'd like to know more information about Greater Philly Church, you can go online to greaterphilly.church. You can also find information on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook about the church as well. I'd love to be able to connect with you on social media. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt, M-A-T-T, Manny, M-A-N-N-E-Y. I've also got a blog with great content that you can find more information about at mattmanny.com. I hope the message today helped you to understand yourself, your relationships, and Jesus better in light of what he's done for you. Thanks so much for listening.